This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Alex Smythe in for Dave. Workplace accommodation is a recurring theme on this program. It's important for employers to provide accommodation, but it can be a bit of a daunting task for employees to ask for those accommodations themselves, especially if you have a hidden disability and especially if you're starting a new gig. So, How do you go about asking for accommodations and when is it necessary to disclose your disability? Rabia Hader has some thoughts on this and she is the National Director of Disability Without Poverty. Hello, Rabia. How are you doing today? Great. Hi there. Okay. So, Rabia, whether one chooses to disclose a hidden or invisible disability is a matter of personal preference and personal choice. But what are the potential risks of disclosing or not disclosing your disability to your employer? Well, typically you're advised not to disclose. And when you don't disclose, then you run into surprises as far as I'm concerned. Like in my personal experience, having worked way back when in employment services as you know, somebody who arranged job accommodations and things like that. And just my own lived experience as somebody who's blind looking for work, I felt the disclosure up front at the beginning of the process just smoothed the way and eased the relationship. Whether the job was for me or not, uh, I just think that it started the relationship with the employer on the right foot. For me, if they had a hiccup around my lived experience of disability, I'd rather deal with it up front and move on and not get my hopes up and not get caught up in a process that's not going to go anywhere anyway. However, typically, it's it's a struggle for people, um, especially when they're dealing with invisible disabilities that aren't obvious. So if you're not in a wheelchair, you're not blind, you're not deaf, it's not easy to tell somebody that you have a disability. And sometimes it's not even easy for people to identify themselves as disabled. And so what is the, the role that the employer has to, to create an environment that it is, uh, that the employee can be comfortable if they want to disclose their, their disability or their accommodation needs? Well, they, they need to make their policies clear. They need to promote uh, a sense of feeling safe uh, amongst their staff to disclose any needs. Uh, they need to advertise uh, the fact that they are a welcoming environment for people with disabilities to seek employment with them and request accommodation. And so within the intersection, there's always a disability. There is always gender that always can uh, be a factor. What role do you think gender has in terms of kind of having the the faith to disclose someone, uh, 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 disclose to someone their their disability or accommodation needs? Well, again, uh, Alex, in my opinion, uh, people uh, as as a woman, um, I feel very comfortable saying, "Hey, 
a blind deal with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I will take advantage of identifying my disability in a cover letter or in an email when I'm seeking an opportunity because I just want people to be clear uh, of what I, uh, who I am, right? Um, obviously, my name gives away a lot. Um, so, so, you know, I just go for the, for the whole package, right, of discrimination if it's going to happen. Uh, but like I said, I feel it starts off the relationship in a more positive manner. Um, however, uh, so, uh, what I've also seen around me as somebody who's brought on people in different projects over the years uh, that people with disabilities, particularly males with disabilities, have difficulty identifying their accommodation needs, have difficulty disclosing their disability, um, especially when it's invisible. In, Again, we, when it's a learning disability, when it's mm. mental health issues, things like that, they're not safe identifying. And we, we've spoken about the role that the employers have in, in this uh, uh, situation, but what what responsibilities uh, do the employee have in terms of ensuring that you know the, they are communicating the the information and their needs that they're able to fulfill the job that is required of them? Well, when there's a job to be done, and if you're not succeeding in it or you're unable to do tasks, you need to make sure that your supervisor, your employer, is aware of what those needs are. And sometimes it takes a lot of hard work and personal reflection to really discover um, and, and put emotions aside and say, hey, I really can't do this. I need XYZ to support me in this way. I need technology. I need time. Uh, I need admin assistance, whatever it is. Or I simply, you know, this task just can't be done given the barriers I face due to my disability. And we, we've seen uh, many different companies come forward and say, we are an inclusive, we are a welcoming space for, for all, we support those who have different needs, but it doesn't always actually translate into action and uh, a, a, uh, a commitment to accessibility and accommodation. Have you ever come across that in, in your work experiences where you know the rhetoric doesn't match the action? Of course, that always happens. Like places that champion themselves as, oh, we are, you know, uh, equity employers. We embrace uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion. When push comes to shove, they often shove disabled people out. A lot of times, for example, uh, we know pre-pandemic that work at home for disabled people was denied again and again when it really was not a bona fide requirement for them to be in office to do the job that they're doing. They could easily do it remotely, but it was seen as going above and beyond a so-called accommodation need. It became a norm during the pandemic, and now post-pandemic, that debate is getting sparked again because employers want people coming in, they have these fancy offices that they want to occupy, and they feel that they need to be fair to everybody, so they need to force everybody to come back to work, and they're, and, and this is going to you know have a negative ripple effect on disabled people that finally thought, oh my gosh, work at home is becoming normalized. For folks who do have invisible disabilities and are concerned maybe to lose out on a, a potential job opportunity or uh, potentially their situation with their current job may change, like what advice do you have for them in, in how to deal with that situation? Know your needs, 
be confident, put it on the table. I am a person with a disability. I'm blind. I need technology to support me in doing my work on the computer. And here's the technology I use. Here are the programs that can help uh, you as an employer arrange for this technology. Make it simple. Make it simple for them. Give them what your needs are and give them the solution to your needs. Yeah, no, that's that's very key because if you don't vocalize it, if you don't share what your needs are and you're just struggling to get through, you know, whatever the tasks that you may have and, and if you don't approach it, then the, the employer doesn't have a have a responsibility to to address these in terms of an ex, uh, accessibility standpoint, but also yeah. may not even be aware that it's a, a barrier in terms of accessibility that is causing the performance to dip. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rabia, thank you so much for this. I, I appreciate uh, chatting with you today. Hopefully we can chat more often in the in the future then. Thank you. Okay, have a good day. That was Rabia Khadur, uh, who is the National Director of Disability Without Poverty, and she is based in Mississauga, Ontario. In one minute, Laura Bain will be here with the entertainment report. But first, sleep trackers may be doing more than just monitoring your sleep. It may have a bigger impact as well. And here's Mike Dubusky with Tech Trends. From ABC News, tech trends, sleep trackers like those found in Apple Watches and Fitbits may actually be affecting the quality of one's sleep. There is a drawback for some, and we, we've, we sense that this is more common in individuals that really seek perfection in a lot of aspects of their lives. Dr. Rebecca Robbins of Harvard Medical School says the term orthosmia is used to describe when someone puts so much focus on sleep data that it actually makes their sleep worse. Dr. Tom Hildebrand is an associate professor of psychiatry at the Icon School of Medicine. He says sleep isn't the only metric that can be troublesome. When you're bombarded with all of this constant information about your heart, your sleep, your weight, your fitness level, all of this stuff, I think a lot of times the trouble comes from we're putting a lot of that expectation for understanding on the individual. So if you are feeling this way, says Robbins, I'd say take a break and try to come back to it when you're ready to, to engage with it in a healthy way. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Thank you very much, Mike. It's now time for the Entertainment Report with Laura Bain. And Laura, you came across an interesting kind of a program that you really want to highlight and, and kind of dive a bit deeper, and it has to do with indigenous, indigenous language in audio. Mm -hmm. um, so this is an audio series called Words and Culture, and its funding is thanks to a partnership between Sirius XM and the Community Radio Fund of Canada, and its aim is really to uh, revitalize Indigenous languages across the country. So it features sort of like five series, each with six episodes. Each series is focused on a different Indigenous language family. So the language families it's going to focus on are Iroquois, Athabascan, Anishinaabe Moen or Ojibwe, Inuktitut, and Cree. And I do apologize. I did try to get my pronunciation there right, but I may not have gotten it perfect. Um, so I gave the first episode a listen this morning. And, you know, it's not like a language lesson, although you can expect to learn some simple phrases and words from the show. But it's more about each episode kind of getting into a discussion about the languages, the importance of the language to the culture, and sort of 
how the language works in context. For example, perhaps how a particular language, uh, you know, speaks to concepts in nature and what that tells you about that particular culture or how it works in relation to things to do with food. Um, and the, the episode that I listened to this morning featured traditional music with singing and percussion. And something that I think is just uh, really cool and important about this project is that the entire team working on it, so producers, hosts, guests, are all 100% uh, people who identify as Indigenous. And as I mentioned, the funding from this is coming from Sirius XM, uh, but it's not it's not something that's behind a paywall. You don't have to have Sirius XM to listen to it. There's lots of different ways. So I listened to it this morning through Apple Podcasts. It's also available just on wordsandculture.ca. And it's also airing on a number of local radio stations across the country. For example, here in Halifax, you can find it on CKDU-FM, which is our university radio station. But Alex, how important do you think it is that funders like Sirius XM get behind projects like this that sort of center and serve marginalized communities? Well, I think it's huge. I, I mean, we how many times have we talked, even within the Entertainment Report, Laura, about authentic representation, about platforming voices from a different marginalized group, whether it's, you know, from a racialized group, whether it's an Indigenous group, whether it's a disability group. I think there is space for people to tell their stories in an authentic manner, and I really appreciate it when you have major corporations like SiriusXM, which is a huge, you know, radio, uh, satellite radio uh, platform and brand that can... Uh, take a step forward, invest in these types of projects that, that highlight content that you wouldn't normally find on those platforms. I, I think that's great. And I, I think it allows people to learn something new because from what you mentioned in uh, already, I'm going to tune in and find out more about this. I'm fascinated by the idea of what this could, uh, like what this program is like. I want to learn more. I want to give it a listen. So I'm I'm all for it. But what about you? Yeah, I, I think it can be very um, useful when companies like this kind of use their privilege uh, to act as allies and, and engage in these kind of product uh, projects. I think it can be part of decolonization and reconciliation efforts. At the same time, it does make me a little bit uh, nervous. And I think that for me, the, the key component when you have this kind of funded by um, like a, a for-profit company, is that creative control has to still rest entirely with the community and with the content creators. And it seems like that's the case with this. So that's um, a very positive thing. Now, that's great that you're going to check this out. I think that by checking out this audio series, you're not only going to maybe learn some new words and new phrases, but also learn more about uh, Indigenous cultures across the country. And one reason that this is so important is because there's not a lot of resources out there for learning many Indigenous languages. Uh, for example, I looked on Duolingo today. There is not any, uh, I, there is Navajo on there, but mm. apart from that, it's very limited in terms of Indigenous languages. And uh, even under the best of circumstances, languages can be difficult to learn. Have you had any experiences with trying to learn a language before, Alex? I know you've done Done some traveling so i'm yeah. thinking maybe you've tried to pick up a at least a phrase or two here 
You know, I I have tried many different languages. I have failed many different languages. Uh, um, as uh, as my father once described, I do not have the propensity for a language, which I always thought was quite fitting. It's a very colloquial, beautiful way to say. I just don't understand how languages work in general, so I struggle. I, I tried before I went to, to Germany last fall to, to pick up a couple of phrases and stuff, and and I had some in my, my back pocket. I never really ended up using it, and I think I just don't have that confidence to really kind of try to speak uh, uh, in another language because I am always just very self-conscious, and I just never feel like I have a full grasp of the rules around the language. I, I think that's kind of my biggest sticking point. But what about you, Laura? Well, I speak a little bit of French, but I, um, you know, was in France earlier in the year and I, or last year, I guess. And I, I too, even though I can speak quite a few words, I get very self-conscious about whether I'm speaking it properly or how my pronunciation is. Now, I've tried to improve that. I did try using Duolingo. I didn't find it was accessible at all. There was a lot of images. So I've sort of taken to watching French cartoons and uh, listening to French podcasts and slowing the speed way down. But I think, you know, even if you can just learn a couple of phrases like hello and uh, please and thank you, it can go a lot, a uh, long way towards kind of bridging the cultural divide when you are uh, in someone else's in someone else's space. Just making that effort, I think, is often appreciated. Well, it also shows that there's an interest in, in, in learning uh, the local uh, culture, language, things like that as well. So it, it, it kind of can endear you to uh, to locals if you are a tourist visiting somewhere new. But Laura, thank you so much for this. Have yourself a, a wonderful day. Yeah, thanks, Alex. You as well. Okay, that was Laura Bain with the Entertainment Report. And coming up after the break, I got the regional news update and Brock Richardson stops by for the sports chat. You're watching now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.